Our scripture passage for the sermon this morning comes from the book of Matthew in chapter 18. Starting in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his, fam- with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. But when that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe! So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused. And went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. When his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you and in anger? His master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. All right. Well, we continue with um, this series called The, the Gospel-Centered Life. And I, I hope that you have been able to track with this series. If you are new with us, our website actually has a place called Resources, and you can find previous messages there if you'd like to catch up. Today, we're going to look at the subject of forgiveness. If the gospel is working in us, it will be working through us. If we have an, a healthy apprehension of the gospel, it will inevitably work through us. Have you ever needed to forgive someone? Have you ever needed to uh, listen compassionately to someone who acknowledges that uh, they have sinned against you and uh, then you extend to them the grace of forgiveness? Marianne and I, um, we had a brand new Honda car and I was visiting another youth pastor in Sacramento. This is back in the 80s. And when you have a brand new car, you just drive differently, don't you? I mean, you're aware of it. You park differently. You always park about a mile away from the entrance of the store, right? So no one will scratch it. Then at some point, you get used to driving around, and you you don't care anymore. But I parked this car sort of in a, a... There was no one else in the parking lot when I visited this church. And so I parked the car. And um, so I come back out, (laughs) and strangely, there's a scratch on it. Now, I look around, and there's no cars in the parking lot. 
And I happened to see it. It was on the tailgate. I was walking around the car, and it was this long, like a three-inch gash in the car. And I just, this is bizarre. In the middle of, of, a, of a midweek afternoon, with no cars in the lot, I have a scratch on a car I've owned for two days. So then I look around. I'm thinking, what on earth happened? And then I see a lawn crew. A, you know, it, you know, these guys are cutting, cutting the grass. So I, um, I'm thinking, uh, I wonder how this happened. They must have been unloading the lawnmowers near my car and moved a lawnmower. Uh, I should have been a detective. You know what I'm saying? So I'm thinking, I think that the height of that lawnmower, that the handle reaches to the height of the scratch. So, Lieutenant Columbo, so I go over to the... Uh, the head honcho of the lawn crew, and I say, hey, um, i got a problem here. I'm trying to figure this out. You know how Columbo did this. One more question, right? So um, I have a scratch on a brand-new car. Do you happen to know how this happened? He said, no, no way. I, uh, it just completely dismisses me. And I said, yeah, the odds of it are just bizarre, aren't they? I mean, there's no other cars around. There's no other way to explain this, right? Yeah, it's just crazy. But i got this crazy idea. Why don't you bring one of your lawnmowers? And just kind of bring it on over, and let's see if the handle matches the, the height of the scratch. I mean, of, of course it's not going to, but would you just help me out? And he says, no way. I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous. I said, okay. I, I thought it was a crazy idea. Okay. So I drive away. Okay. All right. Now, that's in California. So I drive. Marianne and I go to seminary in Florida. And about six months later, I get a phone call in our little apartment from a guy in California. This guy had gotten a hold of the youth pastor I talked to. That guy had gotten a hold of my previous church. That previous church had told him what the seminary was. And then they called the seminary, tracked down my apartment number, and they, right? This guy calls me, says, hi, you don't know me. I'm the guy who owns the lawn mowing company. I, ask, I need to ask for your forgiveness my guys scratched your car. And of course, I didn't forgive him. No. <laughs> and isn't that something? What was it in that moment? In that moment, what was happening? When he couldn't say, yes, it's true, this happened. I have, am fascinated with the whole idea of getting Christians to really see themselves as people who are dispensers of grace, of acknowledging the truth. I like the idea that we as a church could become empowered to be Christian counselors, to be those who are interacting in our relationships, and we are serving each other, and we are empowered even when we feel weak, even when we're exposed, even when we look foolish. We have a cross that's able to give us that power. And you see, that, that man experienced the goodness of truth, and there was no longer any reason to be fearful. What could, he, what could I do to him in Florida anyway? Uh, and there was no reason for him to be fearful and to live in a moment of honesty with a fellow brother. You see, that man was a Christian man, and to c communicate with me it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. We've been talking about idols. We've been talking about the renewal of the heart. Um, let me ask you, uh, there's really, uh, I'm going to present to you, there's really two ways you can be offended. 
uh, by someone. First of all, when someone really sins against you, and you have a right, biblically speaking, Matthew 18 is actually the very first section of Matthew 18 is about when a brother sins against you, and the process of of forgiving that person when they come and they honestly deal with what they've done. Uh, There's another way, though, that we get offended, and that would be perhaps rightly offended, Uh, but the, the offense is not coming from the other person. It's actually coming from your own heart, that someone has said something to you, but they haven't intended to be sinful toward you. They have not given an offense, but you have taken an offense. And it's very hard for you to now dispense forgiveness and grace because they've trampled on something, they've stepped on something in your life, and it really is an idol. Someone at your work critiques your work, and it's hard to receive that criticism or feedback because your work has plays too big a role in your life. So much in our relationships, that's just one example, much in our relationships can relate to actually what's going on in our hearts. And yes, it does relate to what people say and do, but there's, it's sort of an, there's a dynamic going on. Remember how Jesus directs us to say, wait a minute, before you confront your brother in his sin and you get the speck out of his eye, remember there's a log in your own Jesus puts the weight upon our own hearts because it is likely that there you will find idols of the heart, things that we have trusted in, hoped in, and we will find uh, a way to at least discover how self-deceived we've been. So um, our text today is about Peter listening to Jesus and Peter's listening in saying, oh, uh, if uh, my brother sins against me, then I should take someone privately and talk. Uh, I should go to him in private and talk to him about his sin and try and win him over as to what he said or what he did. And then uh, and we're reconciled. And Jesus gives the process of, of church discipline. And you can read that text, which is there at the beginning of Matthew 18. So Peter's listening in on this. And then he's got this clever idea. He says, you know, uh, and you can think about Peter. He's just reflecting on this. He's thinking on it. And he's seen Jesus act so compassionately. He's seen Jesus forgive people. He's seen Jesus just be so gracious to people. And he's thinking, I imagine I'm supposed to do some forgiving on my own. At some point, I'm probably going to have to do this and really extend forgiveness. And so he's got this question. And I think he's 100% sincere. It almost sounds, uh, well, it, I don't know, it, it kind of strikes me as odd how he asked this question. But it's in verse 21. Lord, here it is, how often, will, how, often, uh, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Okay, that's his question. You know, uh, he's thought about it. And he's thinking, at some point, it's reasonable for me to no longer extend forgiveness. And so he, I think Peter is really generous here. I think he's thinking he's very generous. I think Peter is ta- thinks he's tapping into what he's supposed to do toward sinners. Peter's a really efficient guy. Can you sense it? You know what I mean? I mean he's kind of got an engineering kind of quality to him. He's like, he, he's like, okay, I got my clipboard. I got my to-do list. And I'm going for seven, right? And then 
the, the place where I can really be who I really want to be is at the eight stage, right? I mean, I'm gonna be, I can be free to be myself at that stage. It's really, it's, I mean, we spent a lot of time thinking about what was going on in his mind when he said this. I love Peter. I think he's important. I'm glad he's in, we have him in the Bible. But, but you just know when Jesus responds, I do not say seven times, but 70 times seven, and then Jesus starts in with a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may, may be compared to a king. And whenever Jesus answers one of your questions with a story, you're in trouble. And I, if I was there, I'd say, if Jesus said, well, let me tell you a story, I'd say, uh, could, we, could we not? I, I don't think I need a story now. And so he, he sets up this, this story. And the story is that a king is going to settle accounts with people he's loaned money to. And um, up to this point, Peter, th- Peter thinks he's got a grasp on God's mercy. And, of course, the setup is that the king has one person who owes him uh, a lot of money. He owes him 10,000 talents, the end of verse 24. 10,000 talents. Now, the study Bibles will tell you that a talent was 20 years of wages for a common laborer. So uh, 10,000 uh, careers, <laughs> 10,000 lifetimes of employment. Are you all, uh, you all out there? Everybody tracking? Okay. 10,000. It's really there in the Bible. Okay. And this king comes and settles in, and so the guy falls on his face, imploring him, have patience, I'll pay you everything. Uh, there's a chuckle at that point. You can't. Uh, but he says, and so the, the king then extends to him forgiveness, and he forgave the debt, end of verse 27. And then the story continues with this guy who has loaned out a little bit of cash, and he's handed out 100 denarii. Now, here's the deal with this. This is one day's wage for a common laborer, so 100 days of employment. So we got the 10,000 careers, and we got 100 days all right? And the guy with the hundred days that's owed is treated poorly with no mercy. He gets justice, and he that's, so that's the setup, right? And so now you can imagine how Peter's responding to this. Oh, I get it. I don't understand grace. Um, I want to ask you, um, when, when someone is different than you, troubling you their personality is just quirky you just don't know you know you just don't hang around these kind of people we're not even at the stage of this person sinning against you they're just someone you don't have affinity with right you just i don't know i just don't hang around with this person there's nothing particularly really wrong with the person you just don't hang with them everybody tracking okay this is just a rhetorical question. The gospel has to work in our lives at that place. It has to put feet to faith and have you encounter and hang around that person whom you may not normally hang around with. 
Jesus taught often on the idea that friendships and relationships, if you're just kind to people who are like you, the tax collectors like tax collectors, the Pharisees like Pharisees, there is no great achievement in liking another Pharisee. They're just one of your people, right? So the idea here is that Peter's thinking, well, at some point, I'm free to not love them, right? At some point, I can just kind of get on with my life. And getting on with my life means I don't have to deal with people who keep messing with my life. You see? But here's the deal behind Peter's statement. Remember I mentioned how Peter's efficient? In particular, modern people like you and me, we are efficiency experts. In the church, we're efficiency experts. We don't say take two aspirin, uh, drink lots of water, and you'll feel better in the morning. But we tend to short-circuit things. Uh, read, read this, a scripture here. We tend to prescribe things. And we don't like the messiness of relationships because they take time. Peter is a time guy. The reason why he brings up seven seven times, he's saying, look, I I normally don't give people one time of forgiveness. I don't have time to enter into the world of forgiving people. It's not important to me. So now Peter thinks he's being generous when he says seven. All right, so here's the deal. When we are touched by the grace of God, we are being moved and mobilized to help people who struggle and who are maybe different than us and people who need more time than you might think. And here's what I was thinking about this. I was actually thinking if there was one of you who had been here with the church a long time, let's say like, like seven years, let's go seven years, and you have had to deal with someone in the church one time a year over that seven-year period of time. So we're at Peter's number seven, right? So you had to confront them about, say, gossiping about you, right? And then you've had to you know, bring in an, an elder or try to counsel this person, and they, you got reconciled, and then it happens again a year later, and it happens again a year later, and, ha- and you did it seven times over a seven-year period of time. Conflict resolution, it's draining, it's hard, it's, 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 uh, and then at the seventh year, you turned to an elder in the church and say, I am, I'm done. <laughs> and I would agree with you. I'd say, man, this has been crazy, and this person just doesn't get it. But here's the deal. You might just find that they need eight years. They need, they need 10 years. They need 15 years. They have a compulsion in their way of living. There is a sort of semi-conscious way of being, and they just kind of do this, and they're instinctual, and they uh, are um, impulsive. And you know what? It isn't going to be a cute little weekend seminar that's going to help them or fix them. You see, brothers and sisters, we need to take the long view. God tends to work in centuries and millennia. God tends to move slower than we think. And this is Peter's impatience. You see? And the impatience shows up in the one who has been forgiven an extraordinary debt. And they can't see how great this debt is. 
and they move on to the failure of other people. Let me ask you another question. I know this is kind of a hard message, isn't it? Look, do you dwell? Do you dwell? Is there a sort of a habitual um, reflection in your head? Do you dwell long on how people fail? Do you think a lot about that? Do you dwell on it? Does it, is it become sort of a, yeah, there's another one. Yeah, no, I can't trust that person. And you watch to see their inconsistencies. Uh, Nietzsche, the philosopher, I, I, I can't, I'm not at all uh, an expert on this guy, but he had some unique observations and some kind of weird things. He talked about how he could smell people's failures and inconsistencies. He had a real kind of bitter spirit about him. This is a habitual way of being. The, the ability, the inability to extend grace to people who just are hard to extend grace to. to. It's easier to hang around people who you think are, are much more like yourself. David Pallison writes, and I'm, I'm going to wrap this up here. David Pallison writes something very interesting. He says this. It's quite remarkable. He says, we are deceived unless awakened by God's spirit and truth. Listen to that. You're deceived, self-deceived. Sin is a darkened mind, drunkenness, animal-like instinct, and compulsion, madness, slavery, ignorance, stupor. People often think that to, to define sin as unconscious removes human responsibility. In other words, it's just instinctual, Right? Hey, come on, they're choosing that, their attitude, right? If you define sin as unconscious, it will remove human responsibility. How can we be culpable for what we did not sit down and choose to do? Here's Pallison. Listen to this. He's a Christian counselor. Listen to this. But the Bible takes the opposite track. The unconscious and the semi-conscious nature of much sin simply testifies that we are steeped in it. Sinners think and want and act sin-like by nature, nurture, and practice. You see, there is an instinctual response to, uh, in our relational way of being. And I would argue that it is just so instinctual that we are, we are largely unaware of it. We're choosing a relational style that just is comfortable for us. And we're not moving towards sinners. I want you all to be involved in ministry, really and truly. Parents, as you counsel your children, you're involved in ministry. Your words are words of ministry. And you're going to move toward people who disappoint you all the time. And the root, what you have to remember, is that when God found you, you were a great failure. Aren't you glad you came to church? You were a... And I, I thought of this. I, I've used the uh, Niagara Falls illustration. that You're under Niagara Falls without killing you. And, and it's, it's landing on you. And then God asks you to, a little Dixie cup of grace to someone else. you know, And then I... I counsel people, is the Niagara Falls enough for you? But I got another I- image in my mind. I want you to imagine you're in the, in the Arctic, in the North Pole. 
and there's snow, uh, uh, polar bears away, away. They're not going to hurt you. And you see all this. Just imagine that in your mind. Ready? And I want you to hold up an ice cube in your hand. Now, the North Pole is the grace of God toward you and toward me. What we think is the grace of God toward us is the ice cube. And it's the vision of the grace of God, his kindness, his greatness. He, progress in the Christian life looks like discovering the sinner God saved. And we resist that knowledge. I actively resist it. And the Spirit of God is in me, actively resisting me. And he's overcoming my instinctual, habitual, relational responses to people that I would not normally hang around. I just wouldn't hang around them. Oh, can you imagine a church that's mobilized, repenting, and moving toward people. And do you know what the funny thing is? You'll find that these people that you couldn't naturally relate with and you, you had all these ideas about them, you'll find them to have virtues that you don't have. You'll find them excelling in some aspect of life that you don't. And you'll start laughing to yourself to say, who was I to hold some judgment against them as if I couldn't deign their house or be with them? You see... Gospel-centered living is power, and it is freedom. And, and, and uh, I don't want you to beat yourself up. Just start where you are relationally. Say, man, I'm a mess. I don't want this. I don't need this. I could care less about it. And pray to God that way and say, God, this is the one you have. I have a cold heart. What are you going to do with me? And God is not surprised. He knows your heart better than you could ever understand. And the Spirit is in you to, to light the flame of faith that moves toward people. The Gospels, if it's healthy and working in you, it's always working toward others. It's always growing and going. So, so wonderful. So when you take the Lord's Supper, here's, the, here's what's happening. You had 10,000 lifetimes of wages that you owed. And God sent someone to pay. And oh, how he paid and um, now God says, I want you to not only hear this, but I want you to taste it. I want you to know that my union with you, your union with Jesus Christ, is like food becoming part of you. It's not enough to, to talk about food. It's not enough to look at the menu. It's not enough even to have it served to you and look at it. What do you do with food? You consume it. And that's why Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and unless you drink my blood, you have no part in me. You must have me in you like food is in you. And God is graciously giving us the food of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the exalted God-man in heaven now, but he is present with us by his Spirit and we are in union with Jesus Christ through his spirit, and we participate in his finished work by faith. May this participation renew your sense of God's mercy to you. Taste it. Hold it. Eat it. Drink it. Let it be all in you. May it give you power. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you can be alive in us. Grant to us, Lord, 
a vision of what it's like to be forgiven greatly, and then an understanding of how to move into relationships and to move towards sinners. Give us that power, Lord. We want it. We need it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.